Hello there. Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Hello, guys. Welcome to Leverage Masters. And I hope I don't have this messed up, Jack. Andrew didn't get the show set up today. I had to do it myself. And something tells me I screwed something up. So with any luck at all, we don't get disconnected. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Yes. I hear you. Awesome. So we have got a fantastic show lined up for everybody today. Zach, why don't you give everybody a little bit of background on our guest today? Well, this is going to be difficult because there's no such thing as a little bit of background on a guest like this. Today we have Jim Grish, who's the author of numerous best-selling books and programs. Uh, Some of his many titles include Rings of Truth, Do This, Get Rich for Entrepreneurs, Do This, Get Rich for Network Marketers, Unleashing Your Authentic Power, The Power of Letting Go, and Cracking the Rich Code. He's an internationally recognized business leader who is highly sought after as a keynote speaker for all audiences. Jim was recently named one of the top 20 living success coaches and presented with the Best of the Best Award out of top 100 contributors of all time to the direct selling industry. Jim's worked with more than 300 corporations around the world as a performance educator, a success coach helping executives and their employees improve performance and access their true potential and live the lives filled with personal and professional advancement. And to date, he has addressed thousands of audiences around the world, totaling well over 1 million people from all walks of life. And that, believe it or not, was the abbreviated version. Jim, welcome to Leverage Masters. Hey, thanks so much, Jack. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) So... Uh, we'll start you out like we do everybody every week, and just I want to know you've got a long and illustrious career, and I want to know what's exciting you today. What's if if it's different than it ever has been before? Maybe it's the same, but what what's your favorite thing about what you do today? Uh, well, I'd say the 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 most important and favorite thing that I do is what I've what I've been doing for the last forty years or so is. Uh, seeing a change in people, uh, being able to influence change and help people uh, live a better life overall, financially, personally, uh, be happier and, and more fulfilled in every way. A common trait among uh, guests of Leverage Masters. <laughs> and it, it is it's really wild. We get into this discussion quite often about how how much you can get out of helping people and how much people like you come to rely on that that energy that you get back from people, watching those changes, being the catalyst sometimes for that change and and just watching people grow. Can you explain, can you, I mean, nobody's really been able to put a finger on it yet. Uh, it's just a feeling. Maybe you can do it today. Is there is there any way you can describe what that feeling is like why you get so addicted to it, we as coaches and, and consultants and, and people who really just want to get to that next person and help that next person or crowd or audience? Well, uh, you know, first of all, I think, I think everybody is, uh, is an example and have some experiences that they can share with others to, um, to help them live a better life. Uh, not everyone does that, but I think uh, sometimes just by example they do it not knowingly. But the you know the feeling is I, I, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, you know I don't do it for the feeling that I get uh, necessarily. Um, I mean I love getting feedback and I love it when when people make uh, you know drastic changes in their life for the better and and they you know send me an email telling me that it it just makes me feel like I'm I'm doing something uh, uh, the right way. So it's it's really good feedback. Um, 
You know, I don't know what the feeling you get when you accomplish something. I don't know, looking back in childhood or something, when you learn to ride a bicycle and you go, yes, you know, I finally made it, or you learn mm-hmm. to swim or something like that. And uh, that's the feeling I get when I get feedback from uh, from people that, uh, you know, I did something uh, important and I, and I, for, you know, for that person. And, and, and I also know that, that that has a residual effect uh, because if you change that person in any way, then uh, people around them are going to feel different and, and make changes maybe in a smaller way. So that's, that's why I do what I do and the, the feeling I get from it. I don't know if that's, if that's the answer you're looking for, but that's, uh, that's, that's how I feel. That's great. And we get, we get variations on that theme, and you every week we, we get somebody to help us go further down that road, and you just took us a, many more miles down that road of figuring this whole thing out. <laughs> um, so, so your core principles, your core founding, uh, foundational uh, thing that you like to help people with, do you believe that people – have everybody comes equipped and packaged with everything they need, and you're more of a reader and helping people realize what's already inside them in terms of their ability for their you know to discover their calling, to live out their passion, to, to live out their dreams, or is it something else? Is that how it works for you? Maybe you can just describe your core uh, foundational principles on on this stuff on success. Well, you know, it started for me as, as a as a child growing up probably was, was the foundation of what I do now, not knowing it then. I mean, I started out, uh, my first job was picking cotton in cotton fields of Oklahoma. And I was six years old and probably today they'd call that uh, child labor, <laughs> you know, probably mm. get arrested or yeah. something for it. But, uh, but that's what we did. You know, the whole family went out and picked cotton. And I learned early on that, that hard work wasn't necessarily going to get you head in, uh, head in life. I mean, there was nothing wrong with working hard, and we should work hard uh, while we're working. But um, but that was back-breaking work, and and I did that up until I was about 13. And then, um, you know, I dropped out of school because I was really a terrible student. I just I felt I actually felt good if I got a D. Uh, because most most mm-hmm. I'm getting F's, and I don't even know how I made it up to the tenth grade even. But uh, and then I, you know, I dropped out of high school and and went to work in a in a gas station pumping gas for a dollar an hour, and you know thought I'd arrived. But after about a year there, I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do, and there was no future there. But um, didn't know what I could do, and eventually ended up in a factory on an assembly line, and uh, worked there for a couple of years. And then somebody in, introduced me to a business and, and to entrepreneurship, and um, I got the bug. I mean, I when I when I saw this business opportunity, I just said to myself, I can do this, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get rich doing it. You know, so that was my my focus when I first started. I just wanted to be self-sustaining and have a a good future and be able to make some money and and live a lifestyle that I wanted. And where I was was wasn't going to do that for me. And uh, so. Uh, I I got into my first business uh, and it wasn't easy. I ended up in 23 different loan companies before uh, the 23rd one actually loaned me $4,000. This was back in about 1970 um, when 4,000 was a lot of money. In fact, it was a year's wages for me at the factory. Um, but I started, then I lost everything I owned because I couldn't make my business work. And then somebody coached me, or I guess you didn't call him a coach back then, more of a a savior <laughs> and uh taught mm-hmm. me some things that I needed to be doing and what I was doing wrong gave me a couple of books to read and um my next year my my business took off like a rocket and I made just just under a million dollars that that second year in business so wow you know I not that that is my philosophy but that was kind of the foundation of where I started and then I was asked to speak and tell people what I you know how I accomplished these things and and eventually ended up in in business uh, a couple of years later with uh, Jim Rohn, who is, you know, arguably one of the the top or was one of the top motivational, inspirational speakers in the world, probably mm-hmm. one of the most quoted. And Jim and I were in business together for about ten years. That's where I hired Tony Robbins, and Tony uh, worked for us for about five years and got his his start. Um, 
But I, you know, I, I, um, I got the uh, kind of the bug. It, ne- it never, it never was never something that I planned uh, to be where I am today. I never said, "Well, I want to be a speaker and I want to be out there and influencing people." It, it just was never part of what I was thinking. And I started with Jim Rohn. We, I was promoting him. And then that evolved in me speaking and, you know, just more and more all the time. And and I went to a transition uh, where the foundation of what I teach today, I used to think back then if I got a standing ovation, I did a good job. Um, mm-hmm. But it always left me feeling a little empty. I uh, don't know why, I just felt a little empty uh, afterwards. Felt okay during during that time, you know, you get your standing ovation, you know, I did yeah. a good job. But... Um, uh, I ended up uh, uh, in a divorce. My two children live in another part of the country, and uh, I'm living in this big home all by myself. And it just dawned on me that I wasn't happy. Successful financially, but I wasn't happy. And I was teaching people how to be happy and successful. So I quit the business and decided I wasn't going to do this anymore. And the transition for me and what I teach today um happened on the north shore of Kauai. Um, I went over and spent two weeks after I quit my business, and um, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. Didn't, didn't even have a thought about what I was going to do, and, and it was like I got downloaded with some new information. So <laughs> that's kind of where I, where I started. I realized that, uh, that what's inside people, they have the, – everybody has the ability – uh, to to become whatever they want to become, um, and it's inside them. But but they've been programmed to the point that it's covered up, and they become addicted to those programs and can't seem to break free of them. They can be addicted to being broke, to be having conflict in relationships, you know, um, having terrible jobs, whatever it might be. They can become addicted to those things, and they just keep keep repeating the cycles. So that's kind of the foundation of my work today is helping people look inside and find out what's holding them back, uh, show them how to break that cycle and let it go and move past it and have a more fulfilling life. Well, that brings up an awful lot of things. One was I was married in Kauai, so I know – I know exactly where you were when you got that download. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the, and, the North Shore and the Nepali Coast uh, on that 11-mile hike. Okay, got it. Actually, I didn't get to do any hiking when I was there. My wife's not a real big hiker, so I've had a plan to go back there all these years. I need to do that because that is a hike I do want to do. Um, and it sounds like it's pretty profound for some people. <laughs> yeah, I went, so that's I went awesome. in uh, Spent the night halfway in, and then just in a little uh, deserted little building, uh, and then uh, hiked on into the uh, the eleven mile point, and um, uh, with a beach and a waterfall, and there was nobody there. Um, and I hung out for a few days, and a couple people showed up and left, and and um, you know it was pretty quiet. I'd, I'd never done anything like that before, so it was pretty um, pretty enlightening for me. Would you say that was the first time in your life you've ever been able to experience that kind of solitude, that level of quietude that was maybe a catalyst for how you broke through, made some, got that download that you talked about? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I'd never experienced anything like that. I mean, even from hiking in, you know, I, I'd never, I'd never done a hike like that. I'd never seen. Uh, any uh, beauty like that along that North Shore. It's just amazing Mm. as you're walking along. And so you're kind of in the moment all the time. You know, you're looking down at the ocean. You see the sea turtles and the uh, different things swimming around. And and it just, uh, you know, just puts you in the moment. I mean, you can't can't get out of that moment. And then when you're there secluded on that beach and you're sleeping at night on a towel and it's um, it's pretty uh, yeah it's pretty enlightening I would I would suggest it for anybody. There are some experiences in life that strip away all the BS, aren't there? I mean, th- this would definitely be one in that category, where you just you know you're looking at all this beauty and everything. It just seems like there's some things that we can do 
um, that just blow everything else away that's superfluous and unimportant that we give too much importance and too much weight to in our lives. And you hear so many people having profound experiences when that happens. And uh, if I were to have one today, I would pick that one because the beauty, the hiking, the wilderness, the wildlife, and everything else is right up my alley. And those are the places that that happens for me. I start to wonder how could I be so, uh, depending on what it was that was bothering me going in, how could I be so blind? How could I be so beholden to that emotion or or to that business idea or whatever? Because those things just strip things away. Do you recommend that people, I mean, I imagine you would, given your experience, uh, but what do you recommend people do to have more moments like that? Well, I, I think I think people should have those moments. You know, it's it's um, you know, nature is is, is interesting. Um, if you look at if you've got a problem um, that you're dealing with, a conflict in your life, and uh, any type of problem, you can actually you can actually look at something in nature and find uh, an answer to that problem, whether it's a rock or a tree or a palm tree or a wave in the ocean or you know, you can you can you can see the, you, know, you can look at a tree swaying in the wind and tell yourself you need to be a little bit more flexible, <laughs> or you can look at a rock and you say I need to stand my ground. You know, there's it, it, but but so much of the time we're caught up in uh, everyday life and anxiety, and especially in today's world with all of the technology and everything, where that was supposed to supposed to free us up to not have to work as hard but you get you get 50 times more input today than you ever did before and and we we don't get away from it you know we carry our cell phones everywhere we go and uh they're in our hand i mean you go look in an airport uh and and watch people and everybody's got their face in their cell phone and it's it's kind of an interesting uh time that we live in and to break away from that and be able to Lay your cell phone down, which I do at night when I uh, my office is about 30 feet from my home, and I lay my cell phone on my desk uh, and and walk over to the house and and that's it. I don't look at it. I don't, you know, and I, I I try not to be a slave to that, but at the same time, you know, taking time to just get out in nature and and experience it, whether it's for 15 minutes a day, an hour, or a week long, you know, it's uh, I think that's so important. Um, not just vacation, but I mean just getting away, whether it's going fishing or sitting beside the lake or walking in the woods or you know whatever it might be. There's so many answers that come to us because it puts us in the moment, and you know our productivity in life and answers to what we're looking for happen in the moment. They don't happen yesterday and they don't happen tomorrow. And when you're living in yesterday and living in tomorrow, fearful about your future hanging on to the past, uh, you, I'd say most people spend about 85% of their time focused on either the past or the future instead of being open to solutions coming to them in the present. And that's, that's key. It's the more, more time we can live in the present. And that's part of what I do when I, when I help people to let go of something. They're letting go of that fear of, the, of something that might happen, or they're letting go of what did happen in the past that they, they're bringing into the present. Uh, and that, that puts them more productive in the moment. I think you just elucidated something that I've been observing from the edges over the years. When I go on river trips, and the longest one I ever went on was nine days, mm-hmm. uh, and when I go on hiking trips and things like that, I have different levels of, uh, awakening moments or, or profound moments, depending on how long I've been out there. And when you said that people are living in the past and in the future and worrying about that, it it actually kind of matches up to the number of days it takes me to feel like I'm back to zero. And it's usually a minimum of three days. Mm-hmm. And on the river, you know, I feel like um, maybe day four or five, I'm really starting to hit my stride. But I had to use all the previous days to melt off all of that living in the past, living in the future, and not being present. And uh, you need at least three days, right? Because if you're living in the past and the future too much, you've got two days to burn right there in the day that you're in, burning, waiting for both of those to go away. It almost seems formulaic. I can't believe that I never thought of that before, but thank you for 
for for making that happen. That was awesome. Well, it you know it's like um uh it's like fasting. You know, if you go on a yeah, a 3-day if you go on a 1-day fast, you don't feel too good that day because, you know, you're you're detoxing a little bit. If you drink coffee, you might get a little headache by not having any or whatever. But in the second day, it's still not that great. Third day, it's a little bit easier. But if you go on like a five-day or a ten-day fast, on about the fourth or fifth day, you don't even care if you eat again. I mean, you feel so good because you're so clear. Mm. And certainly in ten days, I used to do a ten-day fast once a year, just water. And... um and boy, by the by the fifth day, I'm I'm like floating. Uh, so it's yeah. kind of the same way with mentally. We get so caught up with so much stuff and so much input that it's hard to clear that out and and live in the moment. Yeah. You said something earlier too about um, achieving a certain level of success and looking around and realizing, to your horror, I'm sure, not not being happy, weren't happy. It brings up that Jim Carrey quote uh, that he said not very long ago where he said he wishes that everybody could become a celebrity and make a whole bunch of money so that they could realize that that's not it. And I think that's one of the most, it, it belongs in the, for me, right on the quote wall with the great philosophers and everybody else because <laughs> it really means a lot to me to hear somebody, I know because it must be spreading that out around the world. Because a lot of people, I read a lot of the philosophers and, and all of that kind of stuff, so I wasn't new to the concept. But I know a lot of people would probably hear that and go, wait a minute, you know, that's easy for you to say. It starts a lot of arguments, too. But if you just let it be the profound thing that it is, I think that's really a great, and you realize that. So, so along those lines, what, tell us a little bit more about what it felt like when you arrived, when you felt like you arrived, and and it wasn't all it was cracked up to be and what you felt like you needed to do after that. Well, at the time I didn't know. Uh, but, um, you know, ha- there's a difference between happiness and pleasure. Uh, and, you know, money can can uh, allow you to have more pleasures in life. I mean, it, it it's, uh, um, gives you options of things that you could do that, that would be pleasurable. You know, like if you want to travel the world and go see some other country or some monument someplace, you can do that, and that's that's pleasurable. Uh, but it's not going to make you happy because you, you can't do that every single day. Um, I mean, if you could, you probably still wouldn't be happy. You'd just be looking for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing that's going to give you some pleasure. You know, a new car give you pleasure for a while uh, until you start making the payments on it. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Happiness, it's interesting, the word happiness and happening is is pretty close. So happiness is whatever's happening right now. It can't be anything else, in, uh, nothing other than that. Uh, it, happiness is happening right now. So if you're, if, if you're sick, you can still be happy. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, friend of mine uh, many years back uh he um he asked me what what does the word resourceful mean what does it mean to you and i said well maybe being productive using your imagination um you know a few things like that and and uh, and he said yeah he says just an interesting word and i went back home and i looked up the dictionary and uh, the definition of resourceful was once again full of source I thought, wow, that's, a, that's hmm. interesting. Um, once again, full of source. So I looked up the word source, and it said where all things originate. Not some things, but all things. And I thought, wow, that's that's could be pretty profound depending on how you look at that. And so I kept looking for another definition of source for two years. And I was in a little town in England, Chester, England, uh, and I, I looked down a little alleyway, and I saw this sign that said uh, Antique Bookstore. And I was always intrigued by old books. So I walked in the back door of this place, and there was a dictionary there that looked like it was about a foot thick and old and tattered, and it said, do not open, do not touch. But I didn't think that meant me, so I, I had to look at <laughs> the source again. And I found 
in there, there were several definitions of it, and one was source love. I went, wow, once again full of love. Well, what do you feel when you walk in nature? Uh, it, it, when, it, when all of the outside yeah. stuff unravels, what, what do you feel? Uh, if you, feel you feel love. You know, feel loving yeah. toward nature, toward yourself, toward others. I mean, all of that stuff gets stripped away. And the same thing when you fall in love with something you want to accomplish. It, you're, you're, it, it, it originates in love. It, that's where things, uh, that's where things are created. You know, so that's where our yeah. imagination is. You know, that's where answers come to us. It's uh, so that that was one of the most profound things that, that I learned in my whole life, really. Um, that if you can let go of the past and future, you're going to be happy in the present, and you're going to be exist in what I would consider love, where all things originate. So you'll be more productive. You'll use your time more wisely. You'll be happier. Uh, you know, get things done faster. It's uh, it 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 really changed my life. It really did that one one moment. So the the connection might be well. I I kind of feel like it absolutely is is being connected to source, and that's the nature thing, right? We started mm-hmm. out talking about this. This will happen when you go out and you let everything be stripped away. But what are we letting everything be stripped away in? And what's doing the stripping? Would it be too too much to say that that source by being connected back again to the dirt that we came out of and <laughs> you know the trees and everything else. I mean that kind of coming full circle, isn't it? It is. And and if you want to if you want to think think about this, um, I, I'd heard the term that um, you know we we experience one or two emotions in life, either fear or love, and. Um, and you know, fear can be anything. Anger is based in fear, um, resentment, anxiety, sadness. All of those things are based in fear. So anything that's not loving toward you is based in fear. And I thought, well, <clears throat> that's interesting. But <clears throat> if all things originate in source, where does fear come from? And which was another profound <laughs> uh, uh, change for me in my life uh, is that. Fear originates in love. We create it. Yeah. We create it. And, and, and to me, it's like fear being presented to you by love, saying, if you can handle this, you can have more of me. You know, let go of the fear. you got more yeah. love in your life. you got more happiness in your life. So um, I don't know if that, it, that, that may be a little too too far out for people but that's that's oh no we love we love going far out uh, (laughs) on this show (laughs) that's our thing i also like to give guests an experience talking about stuff that you don't typically get to talk about because i think there's a lot of magic in that and a lot of uh a lot of refreshment maybe for you i mean i don't i don't picture you getting asked these kinds of questions all the time with your resume (laughs) and your experience uh i know that people are probably after you for a very smaller number of things, which we'll touch on today, of course. I, I definitely want to, and I know uh, listeners definitely want to as well. So, um, But this is really fascinating stuff. I mean, I, you know, if I could start every show getting into a discussion with people like you, and there's not many people like you, but all the experts that we talk to, no matter how far along they are, with this foundational framework, um, man, that would be great. Sometimes we get pulled off, but you stuck right to it, and I thought, that's really awesome, because I think we got some neat uh, answers here for people. I think we might be having some people booking flights to Kauai. I think uh, American <laughs> Airlines is getting ready to get a seat booked. Um, there you go. But probably by me, because <laughs> so, uh, that really reminded me. But, yeah, I really love that stripping away. One, one final thought on that was the aha moment for me. Um, and I've had as many as I can, because that's one of the things I'm going, I'm chasing down when I go out is I know that there's a delightful moment in there. If I allow myself to get connected to source and get really uh, away from the future, you know, past thoughts and all that junk that I bring to that place, let it all go, I know there's an aha moment coming. And it is the, the wonder, the sense of wonder that you have looking at all of the list of things you thought were important when you walked into the woods 
or when you got on the river or whatever it is that you're doing and then you become separate from it. You came in together and then you come separate and you can look at all of them and they just start to evaporate like puffs of smoke, like completely unimportant. And no matter how many times that's happened to me, and I wish for a thousand more, it's been wild. I knew what to expect after the first time. I'm like, if this ever happens again, I'll know what's going on. It's every single time it's like spring. I'm also one of those people who's always surprised that it's, it's springtime. I know spring is coming, but I'm, I've been through so much winter. I'm like, wow, look at those flowers. <laughs> and I'm now seeing 50 springs. So, you know, I'm just as surprised by them. And I'm also surprised by these profound moments um, every single time they happen. But what's left over after that aha is really delicious. It's like, okay. And you, I, I don't know about you, but I always make a pact to come back. Like, I need to do this again. And mm-hmm. it's very deeply rooted in that reason. Because I don't know that you can go very long, and maybe you can expand on this. I don't know how long you can go before you have so much weight on your back from all the noise and everything else that, that you're pretty much forced to either do this or develop some sort of a physical ailment, which I think a lot more people fall into the latter and not, not as many as I would like into the former. Is that, is that been your, your experience? Uh, yes. And uh, well, yes and no. Um, I, I do believe that, that people do need to get away and, and experience that periodically, but uh, you know, we can't, uh, for the most part, most people can't get away, you know, once a week to go experience a few days of something like that to take them out of, uh, out of the reality of, of their life. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, one, of the, one of the programs that I, I offer is called The Power of Letting Go. And, and what that means is basically when you let go, you're in your power. You're in, or you're, you're in that moment. So if, if you can... If you can learn to use, uh, 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 learn to let go of the things uh, that are that are weighting you down, things that you can't control. Um, you know the two needs that we have as human beings that really control all of our negativity, all of our anxiety and depression, and all of those things is either the need for approval or the need to be in control. And we're always acting out one of those two. And everybody has them to some degree, but some people have them to a great degree. So if, if we're trying to control everything that's, that's not even within our control, um, then that creates yeah. a state of anxiety and, and can create depression and anger and all kinds of things. And if you need approval and you're always seeking that approval, then that's the space you're in all the time. You're not living in the moment. You're not happy because you're, you're, you're caught up in trying to seek approval from everybody and everything. And uh, if, you, if we learn to let go of those things, you know, uh, to me, what you try to control uh, that's beyond your control puts you out of control. There's some things you can control. You know, if you've got a phone call that you've been putting off that you don't want to make, you know, because it's, it's hard. You're going to fire somebody, or you have to have a talk with them, or something like that. Um, that's something you can control. So instead of putting it off, you know, let go of of the need to control it and take action. But it's like worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. Trying to control tomorrow uh, puts you out of control today completely. So those, those things, I think, if you if if we learn to let go and stay more in the moment and don't take things so seriously and don't get caught up in, you know, it's like you're driving in traffic someplace and, and, and you're yelling and screaming at the traffic. <laughs> you're part yeah. of the problem. <laughs> you're in the traffic. You're part of it. But can, can you control it? No. So let go and just relax. So uh, there's so many things we, that we do that, that we don't have to be doing. Uh, emotionally and mentally and to me we we arrive here on this planet with a certain amount of energy to burn up and as soon as you burn it up your trip gets canceled you're done um so you get to choose how you burn it up you can yell and scream at traffic that's burning up energy you know so you can you know try to control tomorrow that's burning up energy so you say you know stress can create disease well it certainly can if that's what we're focused on so 
that's my philosophy, and 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 I've seen it happen so many times with with people. Uh, it's so so simple. Letting go is so simple, but yet we make it complex because of how we feel. <laughs> Kyle Cecil always uh, likes to say, "How hard is it to let something go? Just hold your hand out and open it." And let whatever's in it fall on the floor. That's literally all we're talking about. At oh, the yeah. same time, at the same time, though, everybody's yes buts come up immediately. People who are in the thick of something, they're at the height of a stress level, or they're you know something of an event. Um, it's usually when I'm talking to them. I'm sure there's a lot of times when that's when you're talking to them too. Is is really close to the thing that's triggered them and set them off and set them on a high stress. Uh, situation and their yes buts come out. Yes, I get that, but I have all these responsibilities. I have all these things, and then they just regurgitate back to you what you just told them to drop. And they're not understanding this whole idea of such a simple thing to drop because they say it's a responsibility and I live up to my response. Their programming comes in and tells us, tells them what they're supposed to tell us in that moment, even if they're not really feeling it, right? Yeah. And my responsibility, I'm a person who lives up to these things and all of that. How do you – so you've probably been in that situation with people thousands of times. Yes. What do you say then? Well, uh, part of it is a, a little bit of education on, on you know, the, the fact that we are programmed and we are addicted and we have this cycle that we get caught up in. And, and that's – I usually lay that out to, so people understand and they start to see themselves in that. Um, I'll give you maybe an example or so. Uh, um, I remember one woman uh, came into one of my events, and um, we're talking about uh, uh, success in life, you know, success in business and life and financially and that. And she said, so she raised her hand and she said, you know, I, I can never be successful. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, it, it was my father. And I said, what, what about your father? She said, well, when I was growing up, um, he, he always told me repeatedly that I would never amount to anything. I would never measure up to my brother. I would never be successful in life right on through until I graduated college. He told me that until I left home. And she said, so I'd have to blame my father for where I am today. And she's like 55 years old. And, um, and she said, "So I've never been successful because of that. I got, I got, I, I just, just don't feel like I can." And I said, um, well, "Where's your father today?" She said, "Well, he died." I said, "How long ago?" And she said, "About ten years ago." And I said, "So he abused you verbally back then?" She said, "Yes, he did." And I said, "Well, who's abusing you now?" And she said, "I don't understand that question." And I said, well, think about it for a little bit. So I came back to her in about 20 minutes, and I said, did you come up with the answer? And she said, no. And I said, well, keep thinking about it. About another 10 or 15 minutes, I come back, and I said, did you figure out who's abusing you now? And she, she said, I think so, but I don't know. I said, well, keep thinking about it. And I came back again, and she said, you mean I'm abusing me? And I said, what do you think? She said, I don't know. And the last time I come back, I said, did you figure it out? And she said, oh, my God, I'm abusing <laughs> I'm continuing what he did. She said, I can't believe it. And so I worked with her for a little bit to let that go. And, and, and she did. I mean, she cut the tie and, because she saw what she was doing, and I showed her how to, to break that tie and and continue on with her life. And, um, and and so her life changed right then uh, b- because she saw it. But before, she felt it, but she never she could never figure out how to break free of it. She didn't even know she could break free of it. Another woman was, I was on an airplane, and, and uh, w- we left Los Angeles heading for New York. And, and uh, she was a uh, corporate executive of some big Fortune 500 company. And and uh, she asked me what I did, and I, and I told her. And she said, what's your topic? And I said, uh, uh, letting go. She said, oh, maybe you can help me. <laughs> she said, can I share my experience with you? And I said, sure. You know, so we talked for a while, and, and, and she said, well, it's my husband. And he won't listen to me, and he shuts down. And 
and makes me angry and on and on and on about her husband he won't you know won't talk to her and just bottles up and you know she said we haven't we haven't connected for two years we haven't had sex for two years we she said it's just i'm thinking about going home ask, asking for a divorce and um and so she finally winds down after about an hour and she said can you help me and i said yeah but you're not going to like the answer she said try me and i said well, i don't think you're going to like the answer she said i'm a big girl and i said okay and i said your husband's not the problem i said you are and she goes, what? And she was turns brave. around like one of those kung fu moves where you could hear the the swish. <laughs> she turned around so fast and looked out the window and crossed her arms and sat there while they served a meal, probably a good hour and a half or so. Finally, she turns around and she huh. says, so how am I the problem? I said, well, what do you what do you feel when you think about your husband? She says, I get mad. I get angry. I said, well, which comes first, your anger or his shutdown? And she said, well, I, I, I don't know. I said, well, when you walk in the door tonight, are you going to be angry? She said, yeah, because I know he's not, he's not going to talk. And I said, well, um, could be simultaneous, but my guess is because you're angry right now that you're going to walk in angry and he's going to be shut down. And I said, so if you let go of your need to control him and see what happens. So I worked with her just just a little bit, and she said, well, what do I do when I go home? I said, just be yourself. Don't be angry. Let go of that need to control him and just walk in like you're, you're brand new married and see what happens. And so she took my card, and about two days, three days later, she called me and she said, she didn't even say who it was. She said, oh, my God, Jim. She said, I went home, and I walked in, and she said, he was he had totally changed, totally. She said, I can't believe how much he changed. And she said, and she said, we're like in bed like teenagers having sex all the time. And she said, this is crazy. She said, I can't believe he changed. And I said, he didn't change. You did. <laughs> Yeah. And I uh, stayed in touch with her for a couple of years, and uh, they, their marriage was just perfect. But, you know, it's how we get we get caught up in something, and we think that, you know, it's it's the, uh, the other person. We're, the only thing we're in control of is ourselves. That's it. And when we change, other people change or they go away. That, that simple. Yeah. You know, listening to you, makes me think of other people who talk an awful lot like you. And then I realize those people worked around you before they became who they are now. <laughs> and it's just really, really strange to be talking to you and put that all into context. I almost intimidated myself into not being able to say anything after that. <laughs> but I, I had to remind myself who I'm talking to. No wonder this all makes so much sense and you have such amazing stories and clarity it's very easy to understand all of this stuff. You've been at this a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I just, I'm just amazed by, it seems like every problem in life can be whittled down in a calm moment uh, or with someone in the room who is calmer than you to something so profoundly simple. Are there any complicated solutions to anything? Really, at the at the heart of it, have, the, have you run into anything that's like, oh, well, this one actually requires something really, really hard to do? No. I mean, some is more complicated to unravel. You know, I've worked with uh, PTSD, uh, people that's, that's had some pretty, pretty extreme experiences, um, some of that. Uh, but it still could be unraveled. Uh, it's it's just that it, it's, it's more deep-seated and more emotional and and um a little bit a little bit more difficult but no i i look at everything it's 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 simple i mean when i first started doing this work um i do a two day workshop and at the end of it uh, i i felt like i needed a week off because there was so much it was like everybody had something in their life that was that, that was a major trauma of some kind and um and i would take that stuff on 
And I, mm. I just, after a few sessions like this, I'm going, I don't know if I can continue doing this work or not. Then suddenly I realize, wait a minute, I'm taking on their stuff. That's not my stuff. That's their stuff. And everybody's got stuff. So I let them have their stuff, and I just help them let it go. I don't take it on. Yeah, I can feel for them, and I can, you know, I can, uh, you know, understand what they've gone through, and you know, have some, uh, you know, compassion for them. But, um, but I don't have to take that on. And so many people no. just they take on stuff in their lives, and um, and just hang on to it. And what what we don't realize is that. All of these things interact with other areas of our lives. That's that's the big big problem. You know, it's it's like somebody that goes through uh, you know losing a bunch of money financially, and and then um, they're afraid to take afraid to take another chance. Uh, so they go through their whole life broke because uh, they lost that money one time instead of letting that experience go. And coming at the next thing with a fresh, open mind instead of looking at it through the rose-colored glasses of the past. Same way with the breakup in a relationship. I've had so many people saying, "Well, um, I'm never, I'm never going to have another man or another woman in my life unless they prove themselves first. I'm not going to open my heart to anybody." And I said, "Well, good luck with that, uh, because what will happen is if you don't open up and be you." you're going to attract the same type of person you had before, exactly the same. And they will, over and over and over. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's why yeah, it's so I, important I, to clear know, that stuff out and, and look at it for what it is. It happened, but it's not happening now. Yeah. yeah and you probably had lots of reactions from people, business people, who are, who are looking to you for uh, help. And and wondering why, maybe even asking you outright, why are we spending all this time on this, you know, maybe they were derogatory and said woo-woo stuff, or they, you know, why are we spending so much? And then at that moment, you surely had to connect them to why all this stuff was connected and why we're talking about that. Well, you know, initially, I did have that little bit of that problem um, because it almost felt like a, a spiritual awakening for me. And I kind of approached it in that way, and then I realized that um, that almost everybody has issues that they're dealing with, and even when I maybe coach a, um, a business owner or an entrepreneur, what I find out is that uh, through working with them a little bit, in order for them to go to the next level where they want to go financially or in their business, it's almost always an emotional hang-up. Um, mm-hmm. I had. I had a fellow come out, uh, he flew out from Pennsylvania for me to coach him for a day. And we sat down and I started asking him questions about 8 o'clock in the morning. And by 8.30 I had nailed his problem, and with, with, which was an issue with his father. And, and he goes, how did you do that? <laughs> and he, says, that he, said, I can't, he said, I can't believe I didn't see that. He said, I've already got my money's worth. I could get on a plane right now and go home. <laughs> he said, I can't believe I was doing that, you know. And it was a big needing for approval from his father, and that was holding him back in everything in his life. So little things. It's somehow, it's, I was just going to say, it major. seems like we're an organism that we have to all, like there couldn't just be one human. It wouldn't work. The formula wouldn't work. Because we need each other to reflect and shine light and on things that we can't see ourselves. I mean, is there a spider on my back? Help me out kind of mm-hmm. thing. It seems like that's the way the world is built, that we are a collective mind and a collective emotional sphere as much as we are anything else individually, but we're chronically, constantly thinking that we are hardcore individuals yeah. with none of that being required or necessary to live a good and fulfilled life. Now, that's why I say everybody has, has something to share that can help other people, whether it's a smile or a kind word or, you know, whatever it is. It, um, we, we all are examples, some examples of what not to do, you know, and other examples of what to do in your yeah. life. 
but yeah, we're we're definitely collective. I mean, um, we're we're an energy unit. Um, I'll never forget one woman years years back. Um, she she had been at odds with her mother for I don't know something like twenty five years. She had not seen her, had not talked to her, um, and she she really felt bad. She really wanted to connect with her mother, and she had tried multiple times, but but the mother never returned a call, never uh, responded to anything, and. And she and I said, "Well, how does that make you feel?" She said, "Well, I feel sad. I feel uh, out of control. I want I want my mother to you know to respond. Uh, you know, so you're trying to control what your mother does." And w- and so I worked with her for a little bit. She let go of that. And two days later, guess who knocked on her front door? Her mother. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and she lived in another state. So, c- could that? Could we be that connected? The answer is yes, we are. Uh, I totally believe that. We're we're energy units and we're connected. I mean, w- when you meet somebody for the first time, you f- you feel that person. You get a feel for them. That's energy. Yeah. You, know, you haven't even spoken to them. You might get around somebody and you're just going, I don't I don't like that person's energy, or well, I like their vibes a lot. Yeah. You know. Um, and it's it's energy. So if it's con- if we're connected that close. When we're close to somebody, we're connected when we're far away as well, and we're connected with everybody around the world in some way. It's uh, I I reflected recently on this whole idea of roles, um, and just how prevalent the word role is everywhere. That we're given a part to play when we're born. That's the programming. We're given a script and we're told we're Protestant and we pray like this and we do this and we do this and this is who we are, who you are. And then, you know, maybe you go to college and you're like, hey, you guys, did you know you can rip up that script and you can do this? Maybe you go into theater. <laughs> mm-hmm. And But what was really weird is that I all at once started to see everywhere that the word role was used. And it's used in job descriptions and descriptions of businesses and you know, your role at this company will be this. And I'm like, holy crap, we're all just actors. We're completely building <laughs> everything that we do on acting. We're acting. My role today is a moderator on this show. I'm playing a role. I don't sure. talk like this to my son. <laughs> you yeah. know? And what what is that? I mean, that's really kind of, when you have that awakening, at least when I did, I was like, I had to sit and think about that for a minute. It was really big, deep. No, it, it, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a good observation for sure. I mean, we we are all playing some kind of role. I mean, gosh, here I'm a, a cotton picker from Oklahoma teaching people how to let go of their their emotions. I've never been trained on how <laughs> yeah. to do that, you know. But somehow I picked up that role, and and that's what my role is in life. That's that's just what I do. I don't I don't have an interest in doing anything else. That's just what I do. Um, so if I if you see me doing anything, there's the end result is always uh, helping people in some way. And I don't, I don't know where do that you think came we're, from. Do you think we're setting the script down on the ground at least when we talk about North Shore or Kauai or a river trip or something? Is part of what's getting stripped away uh, to put a, more of a name on it, uh, the roles that we play that don't really come naturally to us, and that's why they're called roles. They would, mm-hmm. it, would, it wouldn't be called roles if they were supernatural to us. That's, and what's left over is who you really are, whatever that little ball of meat is. You know, it's, it's devoid of those roles that we play out away from the woods, away from the river, away from this uh, wherever we go to drop things. Mm-hmm. Well, I put, I put my, uh, my role uh, starting with that trip to Hawaii, actually starting with me quitting my profession, I put it into a book. Uh, you mentioned earlier called Rings of Truth, and uh, it's my story. There is one fictional character in the book uh, to kind of uh, facilitate the reader into a better experience, but um, it's it's basically my my story and, uh, um, and my role, <laughs> and I've continued that role. So yeah, but you wrote it. You know, I mean, for all of its ups and downs. You you started to realize that you were in control of how that role played out, and that maybe you forgot sometimes along the way that you were in control, and people pushed on you, and you felt it. 
or whatever externals um, affected you, but haven't you been going back to that center that you set for yourself the whole time? Even when you got off, you were never far away from it. Yes, yes, and I and I've always um, I've always known that I needed to take responsibility for my life uh, and the results that I produce. Um, I saw something on Facebook the other day. A fellow posted said, "Which are, are you at the effect?" living at the effect of cause or do you cause the effect and had a whole bunch of answers on there but none of them nailed it and I said well <laughs> you you cause the effect that you're currently living and you're you're causing the effect that you're about to live so we're doing both at the same time um so um you, you know we we cre- we create that role um and, and create the effect in our lives and to take responsibility for that. I just had a conversation with somebody last night, um, and he said, what, what do you do during a downtime? And I said, uh, well, I get creative, but the first thing I do is that um, I realize that I created that. Or if, if I didn't, at least I take responsibility for where I am and, and what's happened in my life, and I, and I make changes. Um, but... Uh, so many people will get caught up in their emotions and start pointing fingers. Well, it's the economy, it's the taxes, it's the government, it's this, it's my husband, it's my wife. It's the, And reality is we're in control individually. Yeah. But that might, uh, that might fold somebody's arms up and get her to turn away from you and look out the window for an hour and a half. It doesn't come across. The, the, the thing that people hate to hear the most is wisdom like that when they're in the heat of it and they're kind of in love with the way they're feeling, even though they'll tell you they hate the way they feel, <laughs> right? I mean, in love, they have they're, to, they're you addicted have to process to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. they're addicted to it. They, they, you know, they're they're literally addicted to it. The, one couple was, or one woman was in a workshop and she came in when, when, I, when she registered. I, I just happened to notice her. She had bruises on both of her wrists. She had a black eye, which covered up a little makeup. She had a busted lip, and she had bruises on her throat. And I went, wow, this woman has been abused terribly. Mm. And in about two-thirds of the way through the first day, she finally started sharing, and she said, I'm with, I'm with my seventh. I think she had four marriages and three where she lived together. And she said, I'm living with this guy now. I've been with him for about a year. And he physically beats me all the time. And she said, I don't know how to get away from him. And and um, she said, when I left this morning, he said, uh, if you ever try to leave me, I will kill you. And she said, he meant it. And so she said, I'm afraid, and I don't know what to do. And so I worked with her a little bit. Of course, she had a really deep-seated need for approval from past experiences that she'd had with family and, and different other experiences. And um, and he had, a uh, obviously, from what she explained, a very high need for control in his life because he probably grew up uh, maybe in a alcoholic parents or whatever, but he felt out of control when he was younger. And I said, you guys are a perfect match. I said, he needs somebody to beat up so he can be in control of him. You need somebody to beat you so you feel like uh, uh, somebody somebody's paying attention. And she hmm. said, wow, I never thought about it that way. And I said, so, but let me tell you something. You're in control. So I said, let's let go of that need for approval. And I worked with her for a long time. It took me about 30 minutes and uh and she and finally she she had cleared it. I said, "What do you feel inside when you know she said i don't, i don't I feel totally clear I don't feel anything inside when I try to bring it up again I said, okay, she said, "But what do I do when I go home and i said okay don't don't have any fear about it. just go home just like you're just going home that's it no no need for approval, no need to control anything no no thought about him. just walk in and so she went in that night, she came back the next morning. And she, at the start of the class, she ran up in the front. She said, "I got to share. I got to share." And <laughs> and she said, "I went home last night." And she walked in the front door, and she said, "Normally he's sitting in his uh, recliner, and he'll say, 'Hey, get me another beer.'" 
but he wasn't there. She said, uh, figured he's in the kitchen maybe getting his own beer. He wasn't there. Uh, he's probably passed out on the bed, but he wasn't there. And she said, suddenly I felt different. It was like this wave of good feeling came over me. And she said, I just, I, I didn't know what it was. And she said, I, I ran over to the closet where he had all this stuff hanging, and I opened the door, and it's all gone. And she said, I turned around, and there's a little note on the dresser, and it said, I will never be back. That was it. And and uh, I I stayed in touch with her for quite a few years after that. She's in a happy marriage, uh, no abuse, and, um, you know, she, she let go of that need for approval and no longer to need somebody to beat her up. But she'd gone through seven relationships to figure that one out. Have you heard of Netflix? Netflix? Because yeah, those guys yeah. are throwing some serious money at stories like that right now, and that oh, really? was that was chilling. That was that gave me chills. That I'll never be back and just go home. I mean, you just sent. Some people would look at that and say, "You just sent him back into the clutches of that lion, you know, <laughs> that little <laughs> lamb. You just sent back to the slaughter." Or you need know, all that's going on, and then you get to the end, 